everyone. It's very nice to be back with you again and to share with you in God's Word. It's good to be here and good to see the link with the folks that you've got over in India and to know that you've got a, a part in what's going on over there. That's really exciting. So let's turn now to the Word of God and we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll start reading in that chapter at verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Let's hear God's Word. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Amen, and may the Lord bless His Word to our hearts. As we prepare to come to think on that passage and to hear God's Word, let's sing, Speak, O Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Your Word. And now as we gather around it and prepare to hear Your Word, speak into each of our hearts, we pray. Bring us words to encourage, to inspire, to lift us up, and to send us forward in our service for you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
the human body is a remarkable feat of engineering and science, a structure that's beyond all comparison. This living masterpiece of the human body consists of 200 bones, each shaped and grooved with exquisite skill to perform an important function. To the bones are attached more than 500 muscles, some large, some small, some obeying the human will and others acting spontaneously. And yet they're all arranged so that they never obstruct one another. And within this protective framework are the brain, heart, lungs, kidneys, and digestive organs, each a wonder in itself. And throughout the whole structure runs a complex network of veins, arteries, nerves, and glands, each delicately interlaced. The body is surely one of God's most remarkable creations. Its intricacy and complexity leaves us amazed at what we're actually able to accomplish. Scientists tell us the human brain consists of more than 10 million nerve cells. Combined with the spinal column, it forms an intricate electronic system, infinitely more complicated than the largest computer that mankind has designed. Our eyes have at least 130 million rods and 7 million cones, enabling us to see color and dimension. <coughs> These tiny terminals of sight are in turn connected to the brain by an additional 300,000 separate nerve endings. My, it leaves you breathless. The human body, what a miracle it is. You can't help but echo the words of David the psalmist who says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. He couldn't spout off these numbers that I've just reeled off, but he knew how amazing the human body is. And if the human body is such an amazing concept and construct of God, how wonderful also is the Christian church. The Bible likens the church to a body, to the body. We're looking at metaphors for the church so that we can understand what the church is. And last week, we looked at the metaphor of building, where in the New Testament, we're told, you are God's building. And this morning, we're focusing on the church as body. You are the body of Christ. Paul speaks of the church as the body of Christ in the passage we read in 1 Corinthians 12. And also in other passages, he writes to the church at Rome, Ephesus, and Colossae. And in the way he uses the term, the body, he sometimes uses it to denote the church universal across the world, across the globe, the church universal. Other times, he uses it uh, to describe the church local, so that if he was writing 
to Airdrie Baptist Church, he could say, Airdrie Baptist Church, you are the body of Christ. So he uses the term interchangeably, sometimes to mean the church global, and other times to mean the church local. And that term, body, helps us to understand just exactly what God has brought into being when He created the church. The unity of the body that we read of in the New Testament and that we read of in that passage we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the unity of the body speaks of a need for submission. It's made up of millions of different individual parts, but essentially the body is one unit. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And then Paul applies that truth later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 27 when he says, all of you together are the body of Christ and each of you is part of it. Now, there was a problem in the church here in Corinth and the problem was the Frank Sinatra syndrome. You know, I did it my way. That was the problem in the church at Corinth. There was fragmentation. He writes in 1 Corinthians 1.12 to the church there, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. Others, I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. The church was fragmenting into various different groups around their own shared common allegiance. And the problem is that each of these groups wanted everyone else to fall in line to do it their way. Paul stresses that the church is a body with great variety, but that God integrates it into one united whole. The body isn't free to choose which members it will accept and which it will reject. Just imagine if the body said it was willing to accept eyes, ears, and mouths, but not hands or feet. Then it would be simply something that could see, hear, and gossip, but it wouldn't be able to go anywhere or do anything. In the same way, the local church has to remember that God chooses those who become its members. The church is not an exclusive club, but a spiritual creation of God. Jesus said in, in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. God in His grace draws individuals to personal faith, and the church local has no right to exclude anyone whom Christ has already welcomed into the church universal. Sometimes we think the church local is, has got the greatest importance. No, no, the church universal is of the greatest importance. And if you are part of the church universal, then you should also be able to be part of the church local. 
John White was an author that I read some of his books in the early 70s when I was a younger Christian, an American writer, and I really enjoyed his writing. He said this, Christ died that humans of every type be reconciled to God and to one another. The genius of Christianity is that it makes possible an ongoing fellowship between people who could not otherwise tolerate, let alone enjoy one another. He then goes on to apply that in this way, which shows you that it's very much the kind of hippie flower power era in America in which he's writing. But he says this, Christ gets refined socialites hobnobbing with migrant farm workers. (coughs) Middle-aged squares. I don't think I'm a middle-aged square anymore. I think I'm more of an old-aged square, but there you go. Middle-aged squares weeping with rebels and swingers. Blacks, Indians, Jews, and wasps, that's uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, in case you wonder, praying earnestly together, and management and labor sharing each other's problems. In a world divided by class, commerce, race, education, politics, the generation gap, and a million clashing interests, Christ alone can make incompatibles mesh. That's it. I think that's so important. Christ alone makes incompatibles mesh. We don't choose who our brothers and sisters are in the kingdom of God and in the local church. It's God who does that. And He brings us together, and He molds us together, and He unites us within one body all different, but all one in Him. As uh, the Methodist bishop Leslie Newbigin said of the church, it is not a segregation, it is a congregation. We are one in Him. The unity of the body speaks of the need for submission to the head. Paul says in, first, in Colossians 1.18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. Christ is the supreme authority in the church. He is her controlling and motivating force. Ephesians 4.15 says that when Christians are maturing in faith and fellowship, then they're growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. But this kind of growth can only come as we submit to the authority of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Paul Brand tells in his book of a successful Australian engineer who came to him for help while he served in a mission hospital in India. The man had a spastic muscle in his neck that twitched so violently that every few seconds 
his chin smashed into his right shoulder. The muscle was malfunctioning. It wasn't diseased. It was in rebellion. It wouldn't submit to the commands that were coming from the brain. And because of that, it was a source of great embarrassment, pain, and deep despair to this engineer. When members in the body of Christ malfunction and reject the instructions of the head, they also become a source of embarrassment, source of pain, source of despair. The church can only function properly when each of us live in submission to Jesus Christ, the head. So, the unity of the body speaks of a need for submission to the head, but it also speaks of the need of our submission to one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 24, God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. My concern as a member of the body must go far beyond my own needs and my own wants. I must be concerned for the needs of my brothers and sisters. It's not all about me, and it's certainly not all about me having it my way. I need to be concerned for the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And in fact, the New Testament says, I need to make their needs my priority. In other words, I should be willing to give way so that their needs are met. Now, that's fine in theory, isn't it? But how does it work out in practice? I'm sure you've all heard the little bit of doggerel that says, to dwell above with saints we love, ah, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. The only way the unity of the body can be cultivated is by mutual submission to one another. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 3, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That's a powerful verse. That is great advice and counsel to us on how we can maintain the unity of the body of Christ. We have to act with humility and with gentleness and with patience. We must make lots of space for people to make mistakes and we need to overlook those mistakes because of our love for them. And we have to make every effort to remain united in the Spirit. 
binding ourselves to one another with the peace of Jesus. Romans 12.10, Paul adds this, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. If we're generally concerned for one another, no matter what our differences might be, they'll not undermine the unity of the body, the church. So, the unity of the body speaks of a need for submission to the head and to one another. Let's be honest. We're not very good at bowing the knee, are we? As individuals, we're not very good at submitting. But that's what we need to be able to do to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Submitting to Jesus, our head, and submitting to one another, our brothers and sisters in the family of God. Secondly, the passage highlights the diversity of members, and the diversity of the members speaks of the need for service. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14, the body has many different parts, not just one part. This is the start of a passage in which Paul emphasizes variety in function. God created the church for unity, not uniformity. God loves variety, as the created world around us testifies. We're all members of the human race, but there's no two people in the world exactly the same. The human body is a unity made up of different distinct parts. There's diversity in the body. And the reason for the diversity is because the body needs to be able to take on a large variety of different functions. To be able to think, it needs a brain. To be able to see, it needs optic nerves. To be able to hear, it needs auditory members. To be able to walk or lift, it needs legs and feet, hands and arms, the bones and the muscles and the nerves all playing their part together. The spiritual body that is the church is made up of a rich diversity of individual people each with the richness of their own character and insights, each with the gifts God has given them for service. It's only as the individual component parts relate to the whole that their potential is then released, and they're able to accomplish remarkable things for God. They can't function as they were designed to when they're separated from the whole. Well, you know that's true in the human body. If the arm is cut off, the arm can no longer function, and it withers and dies. If we are disconnected from the body, from our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't function as God intends us to function, and we wither and die spiritually. God has designed us to be interconnected so that we can be His servants in the world, 
so that our hands can be His hands, our voice can be His voice, our eyes can be His eyes. There are two attitudes, though, that we have to deal with that hold some people back from being committed to the body and being an integral part of the body that is the local church. And the first attitude is the attitude of inferiority. I've come across this many times in my life as a pastor. I'm not good enough to be a member of this church. I'm not gifted like the folks that are there. I can't pray in public. I can't go around the doors and speak to others about Jesus. I'm not as good as you, in other words. 1 Corinthians 12, 15 says, if the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that not make it any less a part of the body? A God of rich diversity never intended that we should all be the same. Often it's because we are different that we are necessary for the well-being of the life of the body. The late David Watson wrote this in one of his books. In many churches, there are Christians who feel on the fringe because of this sense of inferiority, because they do not possess much knowledge about their faith, do not have the obviously needed gifts, such as preaching or playing the organ. They feel inferior. However, imagine if you can a congregation that consisted entirely of preachers and organists. Each local church needs the widest range of gifts imaginable, some more obviously spiritual, some more obviously practical, although it's impossible to make such a distinction. Every person, he says, and every gift is vital. So, whoever you are, you're needed for this body, this local church, to be able to function the way God intends it to. And because you're different from others, doesn't mean you're less than others. You are every bit as indispensable to the life of the body for the things that you can bring to it from your own personality and your own abilities. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 24, God's put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Those parts that maybe consider they're, they're not as significant and not as important, God gives extra honor. We're all needed in the local church. So, the attitude of inferiority has got to be dealt with, but also the attitude of superiority. I've also met folks like this. The church isn't good enough for me to join it. It's got so many faults. It falls down in so many ways. I've been told that as a pastor, why someone won't join the local church. Oh, no, God's told me I can't. I'm not to join your church. You know, there's always something lacking in every church. No church is perfect. 
just as no Christian is perfect, what would happen if the boot were on the other foot? And instead of them saying, no, your church isn't good enough for me to join, the church saying, no, you're not good enough for us to receive you. They wouldn't like it. <laughs> they wouldn't like it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We need one another. We may not always agree with one another. We may not always find it easy to get along with one another or to agree on some doctrinal issues together, but we still need one another. We're all different. That's how God made us. And we're all necessary. And finally, the life of the church speaks of the need for sustenance. The same way that our physical bodies need to be nourished by regularly taking in food and drink, so the spiritual body needs regular nourishment, exercise, and discipline. In 1 Corinthians 12, 24, Paul says, God has put the body together in this particular way so that there should be harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. How do we keep our body life healthy? Well, we do it, first of all, by loving one another. That was the command Jesus gave to us, wasn't it? In John 13, 34, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So, let me ask you, body of Christ here in Airdrie, do you love one another? Really love one another? Love one another in the way that Jesus has loved you. And you know what that love was like. His love was willing to sacrifice itself for us so that we might be saved and brought back into the heavenly family. We keep our body life healthy in this church by loving one another, by helping one another. Galatians 6.2 tells us, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Are you helping one another? Are you kind to one another? Are you Barnabas Christians who are encouraging one another, putting your arm around someone who's struggling and helping them along life's way? Are you that kind of Christian? Are you that kind of church where people will be helped, encouraged, and blessed, and strengthened, and not hindered? in their desire to follow Jesus. We keep the body life healthy by loving one another, 
by helping one another, and finally by praying for one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Be able to talk to one another and share the issues that are causing you concern and look to be prayed for so that you might be helped in the situations that you face. None of us should be too proud to say, I don't need help. I don't need anyone to pray for me. We should be open to go to one another. And if there's something that's really causing us to find the going hard, find someone we can share it with and ask them to pray for us. Praying for one another strengthens the life of the church and helps the life of the church to stay healthy. That's the kind of nourishment we need to take in and work out if Airdrie Baptist Church is to be strong and to be the kind of church that Jesus has created it to be. That's the kind of church in which there is real fellowship. The word in the New Testament is the Greek word koinonia, a sharing together at the deepest possible level with one another, where we know one another so well. And sometimes, you know what, maybe the same with you uh, in, your, in your marriage, but uh, I often find Vivian knows exactly what I want to say and what I need before I even can get it out and I'm struggling to get the words. You know, we need to know one another in that kind of way where we, we, can, we can, without being told, draw alongside one another and support and encourage one another. Michael Griffiths, a lovely, godly, gracious man. He was principal of London Bible College, I remember, serving on General Committee BMS with him alongside. Lovely man. He wrote a book called Cinderella with Amnesia way back uh, in the 70s. And in it, he made this comment, stuck with me. Many churches lack such fellowship, you know, real, genuine Christian fellowship. Murmuring polite nothings to each other, even if associated with traditional non-communicating handshakes before and after the service, does not really provide the fellowship and knowledge of each other which a congregation requires if its body life is to develop. But if we really love one another, if we really, in kindness, help one another and pray for one another and encourage one another, then our corporate life in the body will grow strong and it will stay healthy. So that when people in Airdrie ask us, what is the church? we'll be able to say it's a living body of people who love Jesus and love me.
despite all my failures and weaknesses, a living body of Christ. Amen.